So a couple of weeks ago, we asked our listeners, what do you guys want to talk about? We had done a series on wolves, and that was a lot of fun. We learned a lot about wolves, and then we were like, what's what's next? You guys want us to talk extensive, find some people to talk, talk about, about something else? Horses, treasure yeah. hunting. So yeah, here was the list. Space, sharks, owls, horses, treasure hunting, polar bears, shopping, and eagles. And that was a list made up by you guys. The listeners picked the list. And then you guys narrowed it down and you were like, absolutely space one by a long shot. (laughs) So we continue our space talk with Dr. Sarah Schultz, the director of the planetarium at Minnesota State University, Moorhead. And Dr. Schultz, welcome to KFGO Radio. Well, thanks for having me. Okay, let's talk eclipses because these have been in the news a bit when we talk about 2023 because there will be a significant one, I think, this year. I don't know. You yes. tell us about eclipses. Yes. So, um, yes, in October, on October 14th, we will be experiencing an annular solar eclipse. Um, here in Fargo, we'll see a partial, um, but along the path of totality, there will be an annular eclipse. And that means that the um, sun will not get completely covered by the moon because the moon and the sun, the way that they're lined up, um, the sun is just a little bit farther away, and the moon is just a little bit closer, and so it can't, doesn't quite match up exactly with the size. Um, but you only have to wait until next April, the 2024, um, April 8th, 2024, and there will be a total solar eclipse. So back in 2017, we had a total solar eclipse across the um, contiguous United States, and we'll have another one in 2024. And I actually got to see the one back in August uh, 2017, and it was my first one, and it was spectacular. It was during our show, so I remember we had our glasses, and then we had to, like, quick run out the back door and then, like, run back to get on the air. (laughs) (laughs) It was so cool. It was really cool. And there were people who traveled to different parts of the country for it. I mean, is what we see different than what someone, like, in Idaho might see? Yes. So I traveled to Totality in 2017, Um, And so here we get to see kind of the crescent of the sun, um, and so we get a partial. But when you get to totality, totality is what they call that that narrow path that cuts across, um, and in this case it's cutting across the United States, um, that the sun gets completely covered by the moon. And in that situation, it gets dark. And it's like nighttime everywhere during the day, which is really crazy. And you can see the corona of the sun as well. So we cannot see the corona um, normally because the sun, the surface of the sun is so bright. Um, And so then during a total solar eclipse is the only time that we can really do any real studying of the corona. And so you get to see that. And it's really crazy because it just looks kind of like, I don't know, almost like flames, but not quite like flames. And if you ever, if you search, if you do a Google search for sun corona, um, you can see what I'm talking about. But it's just, it's just incredible. It's awe-inspiring, and it's hard to explain to people who haven't had a chance to experience it. So, okay, so you said 2017 was the first one that you got to experience in, in that yes. manner, right? Yes. And then we've got another one in 2024 that will be similar to that? Is that what I'm to Exactly. Take? Okay. Yep, mm-hmm. So 
Do they do they happen every seven years, or are we in some kind of weird cycle yeah, right now? Yeah. So that's what I was going to ask. So if you think <laughs> about if you think about it's the moon coming between the sun and the earth, right? Right. And that when you think about that, that should technically almost happen like every month. Yes. Right. It should. It should. Except that we're in three dimensional space, right? And so because the way that the um, Oh, I try not to get too technical here. No, that's um, okay. Get technical. The 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 <laughs> orbits, all of our orbits, are a little bit tilted, and so sometimes when the so during the month, the moon when we get close to new moon, um, this the moon looks like it's close to the sun in the sky, but most of the time it'll go just above or just below the sun in the sky because of the way that the orbits are tilted. Okay. But then every once in a while, very you know, much more rarely, we get an opportunity where they line up just right. And so sometimes we get we get a lot of partial eclipses uh, because of that, because the moon will go just a, you know kind of overlap a little bit, but not a, all, a whole lot. Um, but when we get these total eclipses, that's when it lines up perfectly. Um, and so we kind of go through um, seasons, you could say, where, like, for example, we've got the annular eclipse in October of 23, and then April 24, we've got the total. Um, but it turns out that the next one, the next total solar eclipse that will happen in the contiguous United States will be in August of 2044, so oh it's gosh, not every gotta, seven years. Yeah, we got to take it in. Well, Interesting. It's not yes. often at all. And so the thing is, is that solar total solar eclipses aren't extremely rare, but the rarity is when we pin it to a specific place, right? Um, so like in North Dakota, for example, we don't typically get to see a total solar eclipse because the paths are very narrow. Um and if you think about the fact that the Earth is covered in, like, 70% water, a lot of eclipses happen over water. Sure. And mm. so there's nobody there to see it. <laughs> um, sometimes people will do cruises, and they'll go out um, eclipse hunting, and they'll go out to see an eclipse out on the water somewhere. Uh, I'd love to do that sometime in my life, too. But So they're not as rare as they seem. It's just that when you're limited to a certain spot on this whole entire globe, then, yeah, if you're not planning on going anywhere, then you're not going to see very many. Um, but if you can travel to them, then they are slightly less uh, rare. So. Someone someone texted in and said, I saw the total eclipse in Casper, Wyoming, and I'm going to the next one in Dallas, Texas. Oh, nice. Yes. So where will you go for this one in 2023? Oh, man. Well, in 2023, October... Um, I'm not sure if I'll travel travel for the annular eclipse. Um, I'm sure it's spectacular, but I have to pick and choose, right? So I'm yeah. I'm gonna save up my money to go to the solar in twenty or the total. Oh, okay. Me, in twenty twenty four, and my plan is something similar. Try try to head somewhere where it's a little bit more arid. Um, if I could, I would the probably the best viewing skies, according to the experts that I've heard talk about it, would be in Mexico. Um, but there are other considerations if you're going to Mexico. So um, I'm probably going to try to head towards Texas area, try to find some friends who've got a house down there somewhere, <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, just hang out because we, like, I traveled now down to Nebraska for 2017, and that was, you know, a pretty easy drive in 
you know, all things considered. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's definitely worth the drive if you can if you can swing it. Yeah, or I think... a flight if you want to do that, too. I mean, <laughs> even the people that are, are sort of into stargazing, they're traveling all the time. I know that um, my brother even does that. My brother and his wife, they will travel significant distances to see things in the sky that, that you can't actually see here. Right. Yeah, you know, the thing is, is that these these kind of celestial events and objects and things, they're exciting. And so, you know, you don't, not everybody gets to see these things. Um, another example would be um, something that draws people is the Northern Lights. It's funny because, you know, from here, a lot of living in the northern part of the world, we see it more often than a lot of people. I know I've traveled to some conferences and talked to some people, like, in Florida. They're like, you've seen the northern lights? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> haven't you? <laughs> um, but it's really cool, you know. So some of these things that we kind of can take for granted as well. But um, people get excited by things in the sky, as evidenced by the fact that space won out on your, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, so that's pretty cool. Okay, so 1986, we see Halley's Comet, right? Sure. And then we're expecting it again, you know, like in the like 20 in the 2060s uh, with its orbit. I think they've figured out a pretty good idea of when they're going to see it again. Yeah. That's another thing that is a cultural phenomenon. I my parents saved the newspaper and wow. you know like like the national paper from that day talking about how in nineteen eight, like in nineteen ten, Halley's comet comes by, right? But they can't yeah. really photograph it, and there's not a lot. There's stories about it, but it's sort of like look at that thing in the sky. By yeah. nineteen eighty six, we've explored enough space, and we have photographic equipment that can take it, and that takes the world by storm. And people suddenly oh, get way more interested in space and these things that zip by our planet even though they're so many miles away it's inconceivable right yeah it's amazing well it's just i was thinking about talking about the the green comet that's in our sky right now um and i don't know if you have heard of of it or not but um the hard part with this one is that it's not very visible to the naked eye so you kind of need some binoculars or a telescope and you need to know where you're looking in order to find this little fuzzy patch in the sky Uh, a couple years ago when was it um, it wasn't. It was maybe two years ago or something. There, we had a comet in the sky, and I actually went out. I went way north of town to somewhere where it was nice and dark, and I was able to see that, um, without any additional, like without binoculars or a telescope or something. And it's just, you know, it's cool. It's just cool. <laughs> it really is. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Sarah Schultz, by the way, the director of the planetarium over at Mo- uh, Minnesota State University, Moorhead, and um. It's a little space talk. I, I'm curious about something that I threw out to Amy, and she kind of gave me a weird look, but I'm going to ask it anyway, <laughs> Sarah. So, okay. Um, things from outer space, and I'm yes, I'm saying outer space, that end up on the planet Earth. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. Um, every now and then I see something where like a museum, after testing something that they've had for like 70 years, found out that it is not actually like a piece of a meteorite it is, you know, it's a piece of concrete that just looks really weird. And they finally <laughs> yeah. they finally started testing a bunch of this stuff. Would we be surprised by how much or how little we actually have when it comes to pieces of things that have traveled through the galaxy? Um, that's a good question. Uh, and not one I've ever thought about. Um, 
I think that it could be, the answer could be both. Um, I think that we would actually, like, for example, if you were to take uh, a powerful, fairly strong magnet, a large one, and go and drag it across your roof, you probably would find some micrometeorites. What? Yeah, because they're magnetic. And so, like, the reason I say your roof is because then it's not likely to be some sort of, you know, um, I don't know, like metal shavings or something sure. from something else. You know, because you're not going to, like, go and work on your roof or anything. It's going to be stuff that has fallen, you know, from the sky. Um, and so you might actually be able to find, you know, a lot of tiny ones. Um, so there's a lot, but when we're talking about the larger, more significant pieces, then it's not quite as common as we might like to for, like for it to be. When you um, say tiny, are you saying like microscopic? No, I'm thinking more like sand or mm, like okay. you know granular type pieces. Right. I haven't ever done it myself because I'm not I'm afraid of heights. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, my roof's probably got some meteorites on it somewhere. Um, but yes, yeah, so I mean, it's not they're not super rare. It's just us finding them and recognizing them is is more rare. Sure. Um, but and again, like we like to talk about, you know, the difference between media rights and media wrongs. <laughs> and so I all the time I get people come in like, well, do you think this is from space? I'm like, well, it's hard to tell for sure, but it probably, you know, if it's not magnetic, then it's not because they're going to be magnetic. And the the hard part is that the only real 100% way to verify that something isn't a meteorite is to break it open. Um, you have to get a sample of it to be able to see. I think it's the kind of the crystalline pattern of the inside of it. Um, so you have to kind of ruin it to find out, but usually we just take a little piece off of it and call it good. But, um, but a lot of times I know someone brought in like a chunk of metal from – it probably fell off. It was like slag or something off of a train or something like that. Um, but there's a lot of crazy stuff out there, and people assume that if it looks like something never never seen before, it must be a meteorite. Um, but it's not often. <laughs> when I was younger, one of my like bucket list items was to see, and really what I wanted to do was touch a moon rock. Oh, yeah. And like that, because there was, there was a time when in elementary school where there was a national tour of like three moon rocks and they set it up in the gym and you could go and you could look at these things. And oh, that's I, so cool. I, I thought I was amazed by that. I was like, this came from the moon. Right. That's amazing. <laughs> All the closest I've been is I've got a Donald duck mug. I got at Disneyland. That's the only thing I've ever <laughs> taken back from a trip. <laughs> well, you know, that's a, I'm sure it's a very nice mug. <laughs> it, it was, it was, it didn't last as long as the moon rock though. I didn't preserve uh, it quite as well. Yeah. Well, yeah. Someone says, tell Sarah hi from Rhonda. My daughter, Abby, worked at the planetarium for Sarah during her undergraduate years oh, at MSUM. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. We love Abby. We miss Abby. So, yes. Hi, Rhonda. Thanks for saying hi. I love it. Uh, th that's a text in at 35270. Okay, maybe we can get you back and maybe you can do some at-home astronomy for us. Like, tell us sure. how to stargaze for those yeah, of us who... Yeah, I'd love to. That'd be fun. And before you go, too, tell us about if the public can come out to the planetarium. Oh, man, yes. The planetarium is open on the weekends. 
Um, we have lots of shows coming up. We've got some Valentine's Day shows. We actually have Laser Fest coming up as well. Um, so if you're not coming to the planetarium, you're missing out because we've got a lot of fun stuff going on. And you can find out what's going on at the planetarium through our socials. So you can check out us out on Facebook um, and our ticket websites. So if you go to the MSUM ticket website, then you can find out all the events we've got coming up. I mean, awesome. we were there this weekend, and Big Bird and Elmo did a really good job at the planetarium. Do they this do weekend. a good job? Yeah, they they do. They have a tendency to do a good job. Yeah, we, <laughs> we keep them we keep them along for the for the ride. So, <laughs> Dr. Sarah Schultz has been with us. Thanks so much for making a great edition of Space Talk today on KFGO. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Baby.